This episode brought to you by Audible, and today you can receive a free audiobook and 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com slash sports. Listen to your audiobook anywhere, anytime. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted, built, and inspired by the role of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. This is episode 87. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you're listening through whatever platform that might be. And thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. Performance isn't just measured simply by your physical prowess. There's always a mental aspect to someone's performance. And our guest this episode, Michael Pinky, has made it his mission to explore both the physical and mental aspect of performance. As a performance specialist and founder of Combine Performance located in Scottsdale, Arizona, Michael is continuously striving to break the mold of how golf instruction and sports performance is currently offered with a fully integrated, multi-platform approach offering golf instruction, fitness instruction, mental conditioning, custom club fitting and building, nutrition, and lifestyle. Now, before he founded Combine Performance, Michael spent time as the director of golf performance for Exos. He was a tour rep for TrackMan. He spent time as a golf instructor at IMG Academies, and he even coached two-time world long drive champion, Tim Burke. Here's episode 87 with Michael Pinky. Michael, I can't thank you enough for taking time to jump on the podcast with me here. I know since we met down at the Tour Championship at Eastlake with uh, John Brinkus and Rob Vodka, who I've had on the podcast, I knew I wanted to have you on as well. Just this whole performance specialist type of thing, it really intrigues me. And I wanted to have you on because I, I need to know, are, are you somewhat of a mad scientist hidden in golf clothes, so to speak, that <laughs> you're just out there trying to figure things out? Yeah, so I don't know if I'm a mad scientist, but definitely a deep thinker, and I'm always I'm always looking to push the bar myself. So I think that's what gets me into so many things, and it's got me intrigued in this performance world, trying to find out as much as I possibly can, you know. Yeah, and so what does that look like when you're trying to find out as much? I mean, what type of research are you doing, and what type of training are you doing to obviously enhance your skills so you can pass that on to clients and obviously other type of professionals that you're training. So, I mean, a little history on me. I mean, I've, I started as a golf instructor, a golf coach many years back. And, and through that, you know, I just, I always felt the, the little missing pieces that the client wasn't getting the full picture because, you know, my profession lied in, in the golf swing, you know, golf instruction, the golf swing, playing golf. But there's many things if you d- dive in, as you know, by talking to John, uh, why, why we're such good friends is there's so many things going on with a human being at any given time that make them great at anything and also make them not so great. So being the golf instruction side and, and finding out that I can only take them so far, get them a good swing, get them consistent, play navigate the golf course a little better but what's the maximum human performance how else 
if I had all the tools, what else could this person be capable of doing? Um, so that's, that's what kind of always intrigued me early on. You know, when I went to IMG academies, you know, some years back after college, it was kind of the first time I saw this massive campus, you know, 400 and 500 acres, multi-sport junior campus with, you know, they had fitness directors and coaches of every sport. They had soccer, baseball, football, golf. And it was just a massive campus. And they, they talked about nutrition and all these different things. And, you know, it kind of opened my mind to, wow, I'm leaving a lot on the table giving these one-on-one sessions. You know, what can I be doing? You know, and fast forward now is when I opened Combine Performance, my idea was there is some places doing these, hey, find another professional, bring them in surround your athletes or your clients with more tools. I just thought that that process of doing it was broken. When I started this company was we're going to have everything under one roof and we're going to constantly be able to turn around and refer to the expert in the field. So if I'm having a one-on-one session with a a client in golf that if I find something's off today, hey man, let me grab Sean real quick. Our mental conditioning coach comes in he starts organically joining in the conversation. You know, we get to that this guy's been having a bad day. This guy or girl having a bad day at work or outside factors. So that's not a good day for us to be training them because their retention level is very low. Hence, a waste of their money to be spending on us because we're expensive. So looking at it from that angle and looking at the client's point of view and what's best for the client, you know, that we hashtag all the time is always our motto here. What's best for the client at any given moment? That means that you have to have drop your ego and allow you to say, you know what, this is not best for the client. I'm going to actually say, hey, Don, why don't you head home today? We're not going to charge you today. Let's get you back in the schedule a little more clear-minded. Is that what you felt was somewhat broken in the other processes of these other companies in terms of more of a cookie-cutter type of situation, just this is what you're going to get today, and that's it. And we, we just keep moving on. Yeah, a little more methodology. You know, more like, look, we've developed this methodology. We believe in it. We've seen success in it. Everybody's going to get it. And to me, that's just not the case with human beings. Now, I'm sure you've experienced, you've heard a lot of your podcasts and listened to with your guests. I listened to a podcast, I can't remember which one it was, and you were speaking of, um, maybe it was you and John, actually. You were talking about, Oh, look, when you peel back the layers, we're looking at human beings, right? They're, they're great. We idolize them on TV and they have the most home runs and the greatest ever lived in that sport. But get them in a room, back room, having a beer. It's you, the mirror of you. That's what, that's what I kind of see. And when I see that, I've had the ability to be a good judge of character and not really get caught up in, um, I don't know, idolizing anybody. I've never really grown up that way. But it allows me to see the real person that's involved and it allows me to get a little deeper. And what I saw on the surface was, let's just give this methodology approach to everybody because everybody can benefit from it. And I don't think that's true. And I would agree with you 100 percent that from what you described, what I have learned with this podcast is that regardless of what type of platform some of these individuals have, they're just like you and I. I mean, they go through the same type of struggles, ups and downs as we go through in life. And so when you look back, though, how was life for you growing up, though? I mean, how did you have this gravitational pull towards sports and then towards golf? What was life like for you growing up in the uh, Pinky family? Uh, I mean, that that takes me 
that takes me to a spot. It's just something that, you know, has been my personal journey to understand and be aware of where I came from and why and, and why I was set out in that path. And I mean, just you asking me the question gives me goosebumps because I, I think about how far I've come. Like I can sit in my facility right now. I'm on the phone with you and look around and go, how, like, how did, how, how did I get to here? And because I grew up with, with, with not a whole lot, I mean, really nothing come from a very poor family, single mother, most of my life. Um, my, my father actually got caught up in dealing drugs and to the point where he had open heart surgery for overdose when the year I was born. So just not a, not the ideal situation, but I don't ever have regret towards it because I am sitting here, you know, I'm, I do very privileged things. I always tell John, it's like, I, I've been so luckily and fortunate to meet amazing people like himself, like you. I'm, I mean, we're sitting on a podcast right now, you know, sharing our stories, right? That's pretty incredible itself. So just coming from that situation and, and trying to learn from that every day, and, and my biggest thing, I think, in life has always been perspective, perspective, perspective. And once I lose sight of that, I'm not doing my job. So I, I, will, I have a really good way of constantly looking back at the way I grew up with kind of getting by and watching my mom. Uh, you know, she bought a house. I grew up in a really poor city in New York. And, uh, you know, she bought her first house when I was 15, maybe, for $36,000. You know, and it was everything she had. And she only did it. She sacrificed everything and worked, you know, three jobs just so that my sister and I could have just more than she had, which was nothing. I just watched her. I watched her like champion her life and give up everything for like, you know, us and the greater good, if you will, and other people. And that's where I kind of got that from. I think where I get my, my passion to look at the human, every client that walks in this door and really invest in them besides just, Hey, oh, we're, we're these great big golf instructors. Uh, you know, let us touch you, you know, let us touch you and you're going to be better. I've never looked at that. I've always looked at like, how can we help this person in as many ways as possible? And that just happens to help their golf game, which we do. And I was going to ask you, how do you even define success for your clients? For me, it's always about the client's success is always about if when they're in this environment, we call the culture here of the staff. We got nine people here now. I want that, that person to, to come up to it. And if they can come up to it, then we're doing our job. Because I'm a big believer, and it's a good time that we're having this, because yesterday we're doing some really um, ahead-of-the-game stuff with uh, mental conditioning, but also a, a device called Focus Band, where we're, it's EEG. Or we're, we're tracking on a wireless device in your head. We're tracking brainwaves. But we're doing a, a very new, even beta testing it, the project where we're doing team building. And the thought process behind it is if you have nine people on staff and eight are flowing, you can see this, you witness this, teams flowing, you guys are getting contracts, business is growing, everybody's happy, nobody's complaining, but you have that ninth guy that's not quite there. Can the energy or the flow we call the, the group flow of the frequency, the brain frequency you're on, bring that ninth person up to your level? and let them feel what it feels like so you can continue to move forward nine instead of eight. So it's, it's super deep. Um, 
maybe it's even another conversation. Yes. <laughs> this it, is going it, to a whole nother level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's you have a little inside of my brain now. Yes. No, so, I, I understand it now. And knowing your history also, it does start making sense for me to know yeah. your pathway because my pathway is really not too much dissimilar than yours. I never knew my biological father, and he ended up having some type of drug-related incident where he was actually killed and a body was never found. So I've always had this situation of a feeling of abandonment and rejection, and that was kind of a driving force for me. And, you know, my mom and stepdad were alcoholics, so that was a whole nother thing to have to deal with as a child. And so sports was my way of connecting with people and shaping me. So was sports that way for you as well? I think a little, yes and no. I mean, if I look back, I always look back. I played every sport kind of growing up, dabbled here and there, but I didn't I didn't stick to Little League and stay through the whole career. I didn't, I played a couple of years football and then quit it. I was really into um, extreme sports. I snowboard a lot, skateboard a lot when we could. I mean, um, but if I keep going back to what really intrigued me, it was always the creation of things. And I spent a lot of time in my, in my dad's body shop you know, after he got off drugs, he lived, he kind of saw that as a second chance and, you know, stayed sober for everything for years and actually developed a relationship a little bit with me. He's the one that got me into golf. But I look back, it was always about, I love doing those things. I love sports and the the thought of it to like, how do you become great at something? But I, I always kept coming back to creation. I loved creating things, whether I worked in a shop with them, we built um, cars and painted, right? So we... We stripped cars down, uh, Bondo, sand, paint, wet sand, the whole nine. And that, that process and that project of taking something that, that has a good core to it and bringing it to this new reality of life was always this like message in my head. So it's always about creating and building something in my entire life. And I think that's what brought me to here. This was a massive risk. You know, I'm, I'm okay with saying today that before I started this company, I was in a spot. I mean, my mother was going through cancer for the third time. She passed away this past year in, in January. And I I was in a spot where I was, I was kind of down my, myself. Like, have I, have I done enough to this point? Um, is it worth it? Should I continue this path that I'm out of, like, searching for something bigger? Or is there a waste of time? And am I confused? Or is, is this... Just I'm just telling myself, and it's hard for me to say, but like my mother's passing was probably the greatest thing that ever happened in my life. I was going to ask you how that impacted your journey, where you were in your journey when she passed away. I was in the I was in that middle zone. I had I had my company open, but it was me, and I had you know employees here and there. But I was I think I would say I was scared to take the full full in risk, like all in. And it wasn't until her getting sick for the third time and this being really serious, we're like, she's not going to come through this was my perspective went through the roof. Like what was real and what was important, what mattered was through the roof. Like I always say now, it's like, I'm a a white male in America. You know, I I don't, I don't have problems. I, I have the opportunity to grow something big. And the fact that I have an opportunity to do it is amazing. There's a lot of people that don't even have the opportunities to make the choice to say yes. And I did have it standing in front of me, and I was just 
I was I was scared to grab it. So through that process was massive for me. You know, it, it pushed me over the ledge. And had you already had opened Combine Performance at that time when she passed away? Well, I had Combine Golf open originally. So right before she passed, probably the last four or five months, I had opened Combine Performance. When she first got sick and she was getting bad, I just, I pushed it all in. Everything, everything I had, everything, every favor that I built up, like I told you before, I never really, I had very special opportunities to be around a lot of people. I worked for TrackMan for many years, and that put me all around the nation in front of people that I normally would have never been in front of. And um, But I've never been the person that's, you know, been super impressed by any one individual. So I've never, like, taken a picture with anybody. I've never asked for a picture. I've never asked for an autograph. I've never asked a favor. I've, ne- I've just never been that dude. And I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine one day. It's like, why is it so bad to ask? <laughs> right? Yes. And, you know, I, I had to ask myself that. Like, you know, I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of, I pride myself in, in connecting people and doing it for others. I love, it's in my heart, I love doing it. But when he said that to me, it triggered something like, damn, why don't I, what, why can't I ask? That part with my mom and that those little conversations kind of put me over the edge and I just, I started reaching out to everybody. I, I really tried to scratch this thing together with all my resources financially and all my resources in kind with the amazing people I've met. And so what was the process like in terms of the journey, getting growing up in New York, but then it's you know Florida, then Arizona? I mean, what is that pathway like? At the start, you know, the first time I ever left New York was the first. It was like, wow, there's there's other than... Binghamton, New York, and the whole world, you know? <laughs> and Binghamton, New York, if you don't know, is a bit like Flint, Michigan, which I'm sure other people can relate to. It's like one of the third poorest cities in America. Um, you can buy a three-bedroom house, you know, three-bedroom, two-story, one garage for $40,000. You know, I come to Arizona, you know, 60000 is a down payment on a small house here. So, like, perspective, right? Perspective. It's like, what? So just opening my eyes to, holy cow, one, there's another world. Two, what, why am I feeling sorry for myself? And there's opportunity everywhere I step. And, you know, the first thing I ever did that really changed my life, this would be, you know, if we're going to refer to the Brink of Midnight show. But, John, I, I think one of my moments was I was bartending in New York in my early 20s. Didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. Was trying, you know, professional golf stuff, but got hurt a little motorcycle accident, messing around like a dumb young kid. And, that kind of fun. So I'm, I'm bartending and you know, I said, I don't know even what it was, but I stayed up every dollar made from bartending, bought a ticket to Japan, bought a ticket back from England about almost five months later, four and a half months later, and nothing in between. And I took a backpack, five pairs of socks, five pairs of underwear, shirts, long sleeve, pair of jeans, pair of shorts, sneakers, and flip-flops. Didn't take a phone. And that was it? That was it. And I traveled a complete loop around the world. I made myself, found myself back in England to get my flight five months later and flew back home and it changed my life. So what was the most fascinating thing that you experienced during that trip? Because that's amazing that you had the guts just to do that. Um, I I would say that the the biggest thing I took from the entire trip was you, you you just don't know 
what you have on until you see everything. You have to expose yourself. And I remember going to, this was early, this was 2002, three. Remember that, remember that massive tsunami that hit in Sri Lanka? I do, yes. It was absolutely massive. It took out a lot of Thailand, took out a lot of... I had gone right after that. And I'd already planned on you know, going to a lot of places in Asia. It really intrigued me. And I went to these places where you know, I'd done some research before, and there was nothing there. I got there, and the hotel I thought or the hostel was, it wasn't there. And it, it was kind of like eye-opening, like devastating, but at the same token, every human being I ran into in those places on this journey were just incredibly grateful for life. Not like what I lost, not what I have, do I have a cell phone, or what kind of car I drive. It was like ear to ear smiling just to be alive. And it blew me away. Goes back to that word perspective. Yeah, perspective, man. Like, I can't say that word enough in my life because I just keep on going back to every time I think I get ahead of myself. I have these, I have these, you know, four months of traveling. I went all over Europe, all over Asia, uh, uh, Australia, New Zealand. I went everywhere. I tried to go everywhere I could before I made it home. And I just saw how massive uh, the culture's differences were and what mattered. You know, like in England, even kind of parallel to U.S. Like I thought one thing was weird, washer and dryers, they don't have them. A lot of places I was in my houses, like it's a, it's not a normal thing to have in your house. Like, (laughs) you know, we had a washer and dryer. We wouldn't know how to function now without a washer and dryer, right? (laughs) Yeah. So I mean, just little things that kind of blew my mind. I got home and I, I spent two months back in New York and for those two months, my brain could not stop. All I thought about was the the lost time that I had spent not not seeking my potential, like what I was supposed to do. Why am I here? There's so many people. Like, what am I complaining about? You gotta be kidding me. You know what I mean? That really triggered me. That was the one moment that really got me going and fought a coup. So, did you have a vision during that trip, or when you got back from that trip? Okay, this is my vision. This is what I want to do. And was in your head combine golf or combine performance? part of that vision? No, actually early on it was, look, I love golf. I can see myself doing something there, but I never had the clear vision of that's where I wanted to go or in performance. My clear vision at, the, at that time was I need to do something to be bigger than myself. And that means to be bigger than myself, I have to give back to something. Like I have to make a mark that lasts longer than I do. Right. So that's, that's kind of the this thing kept playing in my head. So I took off, you know, I moved to North Carolina and then I was there for a while. And then I moved even deeper. Um, I came back to New York and I went to ASU across country. I just jumped in my pickup truck, my 150, no air conditioning, drove across the country, applied for school, hope, hoping I would get in. Uh, <laughs> went back to ASU. I didn't have a place to stay. I, I drove up and down eight hours that day looking for an apartment, found one, signed a lease. Um, next day, out looking for a job and kind of never plan anything. You know, my mom always gave me shit like, you know, hey, where are you going to be next week? I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean you don't know? <laughs> like, Trying to figure this out. Yeah, I think what it's taught me, Rich, is, is I'm an opportunist. I've, I've had, I can say now because I'm an amazing woman now, but like I've had relationship problems in the past 
only because of my lack of time and commitment has never been into that, that area. It's always been, in, I'm always looking for the next opportunity. And what some may say, like I'm in Atlanta, I'm like, Hey Rich, we should go out to, they're having this party tonight, this little get together. And you're like, ah, nah, I'm just, nah, the movie, those things are always boring. I never look at the actual thing it is. I say to myself, give me a hundred people out, 200 people out, 50. There could be the one person that I'm supposed to run into and have a conversation with there. And I try to, I try to seek that opportunity out every time I'm everywhere. So what it does to me is from an outsider, it makes me look like a workaholic. One, I just don't see it that way. I'm never working. In my mind, I'm never working. I'm, I'm, bu- I'm building my legacy. I'm building, I'm building something that, you know, when I hired the first three guys here, and I'm lucky, I have, I have a friend from college that when I presented this, like, look, I want to do this. You've been the guy I've been talking to a long time. You're in Portland. What do you think? He goes, I'm all in, man. So that was my first ask. That was my first big ask. And it was a yes. And immediately I realized that people had this confidence in me because they witnessed things I've done before and said, you know what? Yeah, and I'm, I'll follow you. And he bought in. He's the only other partner I have in this. It was just me and him. Whatever we have in our bank accounts, let's go. Um, and we're here. We have nine employees now and three properties. What do you so, think you would have done if he would have said, no, that's a crazy idea, man? Called BS on him and told him to get his crap together. <laughs> that's right. I, I mean, You better believe in this. <laughs> yeah, Rich, I'll tell you this. It's funny. We had a meeting, We have staff meetings every week. We, we're big on team building and, and keeping our staff really tight and I had I, I do my podcast as well. I share it with you, and I had one of my longtime clients. She's an LPGA tour player now, on, um, and I wanted to dig deep back into you know the days we met. And it was interesting is she's sitting there, another one of my coaches, one of my co-hosts, which used to be my client as well. And she goes, "Well, I got to be honest. The first time I ever met Mike, I didn't like him. He's kind of a dick. <laughs> you know, like she goes through this thing and." And the other guy is laughing. He goes, that's the same experience I have with Mike. <laughs> hey, Lisa's consensus, right? You're consistent. <laughs> right. And, and so the point is, I'm not a dick in nature. Like when I meet you, I'm rude. I'm just, I'm just very confident in what I believe in in my past and not being dishonest with you when you ask me a question. So if you ask me, hey, I want to plan tour, am I able if I think you're not, I'm going to tell you and it might hurt your feelings. And that's, that's where I get to this core. When I first hired the first five guys or four guys, I said, Hey, here's our vision. And we're going to stick by this. It's the client first every day or we're shutting this down. If you're trying to sell and trying to get more clients in here, try to get your money up, you're gone. Because this is a passion play for me. It's not about money. I didn't, I didn't invest every dollar I've ever made in my life in this thing and to this day still do to allow that to control what we're trying to do in a bigger picture. I believe if you're doing the right thing, money always comes. Yes. And I also believe in knowing your why. And I had Connor Shaw, former South Carolina quarterback, and he talked about knowing your why. And you had a podcast about knowing your why. And I really enjoyed that. And I can tell you have figured out your why. And that's what you're doing right now. Yeah, I love it. I mean, look, uh, you know what intrigued me about you? I think you, like when John told me about you first and, and you do this podcast and 
and I started listening to it. I'm like, oh, it's a cool job. And I always, I always looked at podcasts before I started mine is this, this is what somebody does. Like that's their job. You know, like I, I was learning about podcasts coming up and when I saw John, cause I've known John for a long time, I saw him start when I was like, this is not what they do. This is an extension of what they do. It's like bringing people into their world and sharing. And I thought that that was your thing. Like until I met you at Atlanta and you, you know, told me like you work as well still. Yes. Right? Like, <laughs> That's right. Like you work, you work and you have passion and maybe they're not the same, but that's amazing. I think that's what's amazing about these platforms is we have the opportunity. Like I always say, perspective, perspective, we have the opportunity to do these things. And if you're sharing and you're putting first, like the finances will come. I always believe that. Yeah, I believe that as well. It's all about uh, sharing. One of the other things that I'm intrigued about the podcast that you had with Rob Vodka talking about, you know, embracing failure and failure is not a bad thing. So, what type of failures have you had so far through this? Oh, how long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, man, Rich, like, I, I, I got to tell you, like, early days up until I was before that trip I took around the world, I, I believed 90, I honestly believed in my head that 95% of what I was doing was a failure. I just, I just had the mindset. I, you know, if I fast forward today, I'm 37 years old, what I've educated my mind with and, and, and understanding more about the brain and um, all that kind of stuff is, is taught me that you are what you're around. You are what you expose yourself to. And unfortunately, sometimes I grew up in a really bad spot. Like I grew up in a, a depressed town. It was an old EJ factory, IBM in the boom days. And when they left, it's a ghost town. So like I said, super depressed town. But that affects everybody in the town. When you're around negatives, it's easy to stay in negative. When you're around positive, it's really easy to stay up, right? So I, I always look at like these small things. When I was back in New York, I was one of 14 of my friends that did not smoke cigarettes. I live here. I don't know a person that smokes cigarettes. Is that just a coincidence or is it me changing the environment I'm in on purpose? Do you think that is somewhat of a subconscious desire to get out of that? Because I know it was actually intentional for me because I was in a very similar situation. My friends joke from high school that graduation day, I walked up on stage, got my diploma, and I just kept on walking and never came back <laughs> to my hometown. <laughs> and that's, yeah. in reality, yeah. that's the way it was because I wanted to get out of the situation that I was in and break that cycle of the alcoholism, drugs, and smoking, all of that. I wanted to get out of that, and it was intentional for me, but I think it was subconscious early on in my life that I always had this vision of getting out. So was that the same for you? Yeah, I would definitely mirror everything you just said there. I mean, that was, I think the only thing I did different was I had to never look back. I wanted to I wanted to change my environment, make my own choices and not have to face, you know what I didn't want? I didn't want to ever have to face the question again of like, hey man, you want to do some drugs? Hey man, you want to go get shit canned? Hey, you want a cigarette? Like those aren't being asked to you on a daily basis. It's easier to make the choice. And then once you've changed your pattern and the choice, it's out of sight, out of mind. 
when it does come up, if it ever comes again, it's really easy to say no. It's really easy because your belief system has changed. The only thing, the only thing I did different was for years when I was gone, I still continued to try to come back to my hometown, and I felt like I wanted to be an example. I was like, look, see what's out there. Anybody, if I can do it, I felt like the failure of my life. If I can do it, I know a bunch of you can do it. Like I, I was kind of looking at this like this weird Oprah moment. Like I, I was, but you know what? Who I, what I was greeted with when I came back was resentment. That's fascinating. That is yeah, fascinating, fascinating, Michael, because I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like a, hey, who are you, Rich? Who are you to come back and say you're the, oh, you want to come back and rub it in our faces? And it was kind of my, it was kind of shocking to me. I, I was really put off by it. Like, good friends of mine, to the point where one of them actually, you know, was buzzed up, drinking, actually came at me a little bit, like, who the F do you think you are? And, you know, you come in town whenever you feel like it, and, well, you got a good job now, and you got money, and you think you're... And it wasn't until then that I realized that that wasn't personal. It's two different environments. I, I made a choice. It was still there. They were still in that environment. They hadn't uh, been right. able to get out of it. So that's, that, that failure stuff, like I, I experienced a lot, a lot earlier. I told you my dad almost died. My mom has been through cancer three times. She, she's caught it every time and fought back. Like it didn't feel like a lot was rolling in the, in the positive direction. <laughs> um, and, and nobody went to school, my family, nobody went to college. Like there just wasn't a lot of good stories. And, uh, it just didn't feel like I was rolling towards opportunity until I left my eyes were open to the world. And the, the podcast with Rob, him and I talked about that for weeks prior. And we talked a lot about his kids. He shares a lot of his kids' experiences with me. And it just something struck me. I was like, you know, why don't we teach into both sides of it? Let's dig into failure. Let's dig into it. And something he said is super special all the time, and he should probably share this with you, is the situational fluency. You know, he, yes. he kind of lives by so this situational fluency to be able to adapt and react and move and not be in a methodology, right? Because that can close your mind off to the opportunity to become greater than yourself in any given moment. Um, and that just comes right down to parenting. That's how we got in that conversation. And I, look, I'm, I'm absolutely blessed. Like, you know, you know, Rob, and you know, John, like situations like this in my life give me perspective too. like the no people like that and get close to people like you and and you share stories is like wow nothing if we all if, if the four of us are mirrors of ourselves, not one bad incident can take us down collectively and that's what i want to be around and that goes back to you to answer your question what do i see as success for my clients it's that i want them to experience what i'm experiencing today because i believe when you're on your high, when you're in your moments, when you're surrounded in better situation environment and your belief system can change, you become the best version of yourself doing anything, i.e. golf. Golf is life. Life is golf. That's right. I mean, they're so connected and so in parallel with each other, basically, is, is the way I view it. And I love what you're doing with the whole brain side of things because I think that is something that – we just don't really understand enough. This for me today is everything. The untapped knowledge that we have about the brain today is everything for me. So this is a pretty exciting uh, time in my, in my journey. 
more so than looking at the different type of technologies in golf, the track man type technologies, the advancements made by that, you feel that it's you're investing more into this the brain functionality. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, here's a good example. So I worked for Trackman a long time. I, I worked for them when they were still growing. So when I was in the company, there was only five of us in the United States. One of those five was the vice president, and one was a support manager. So there's three of us working the whole country. And during that time, that saw the, the, the massive growth acceptance of a technology like that. So when I first came in, I was selling $25,000 machines. The golf coach is that the medium income across the country is $35,000. No, it's not an easy sell. <laughs> That's right. right? Like, spend a majority of your annual salary on this device. Oh, by the way, you're going to have to be massively educated on it because it's reading things that nobody's ever known before. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, you know, fast forward today, it's much more accepted. A lot more people have it. Almost every tour player you see is using it. It's come a long way, but I think I was part in the middle of the massive change of something like that. So here's my best way of explaining it to my clients is the track man tracks the golf ball the entire distance. The golf ball is the last thing in the chain of events that needs to happen for that to happen, right? So we're measuring the very last thing in the chain. So let's back it up. Trackman also tracks the golf club. It's what hits the ball in the direction. The golf club is being held onto by the hands. Hands are hooked to your arms, to your torso, pelvis, down to your feet. Your feet are hooked to the ground, what ground force you're using in pressure, using the gravity to push back at you. All that controlled by your brain. Where should we start? <laughs> Not with the golf ball, right? <laughs> you need to start right. with the brain. <laughs> right. Here's the hardest part about golf, Rich, is that a blind squirrel gets a nut. You can be the worst physically talented, skillful, quotation marks, golfer exists, but you still have the opportunity hitting that one in a million shot that's pure, that's flush, that goes in front of you and you're like, wow. That gives you false feedback, and if you're good or if you're doing things right or wrong. You can do everything wrong and have that feeling. Yes, you can, because that happens to me quite a bit. <laughs> right, and you can do everything right and not have that feeling. That's all going back to the brain. The receptors, they go back to the brain. You understand what took place. So for me, it all starts there, right? John, let's use John as an example. John loves golf. I mean, he is nuts about golf. Early on, we met a sports science um, taping of uh, my long driver at the time. I taught long drive, world champion. We're out in L.A. We're on a, a closed-down airport strip, and we're, he's trying to hit golf balls through the back of a Ford F-150 because a new aluminum body came out. So sports science is doing this big thing for Ford. They're bringing this guy's 225 mile an hour ball speed trying to hit through dent the back of the truck was hanging from a crane. This is the first time I meet John, right? Next time I see him, he's at Larry Fitzgerald's golf thing here that we're working, we're doing, we're hosting. And he comes up and he's like, Hey man, I'm like, Oh, what are you doing? He goes, Oh, playing, I know Larry, we're playing Larry's bag. I go, Oh wow. Yeah. We're running this thing. He goes, Oh wow. And we have the track man out. And he goes, Oh, are you tracking swings? I go, yeah. He goes, don't dude. 
comes over Meg Whispers, don't track mine. <laughs> like, no, it's all, it's all good. We don't, we don't share it. I mean, seriously, don't track it. So I just go, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no worries. I'll shut it off. Obviously, I didn't. He hits, and it looked like he hit the golf ball with a head cover on. I mean, a powder, it like, it looked like baby powder floating in the air, like, and it kind of got out to the first cut, right? <laughs> and he goes, you didn't get that, did you? And I go, and I'm la- I'm laughing at the time. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, he goes, dude, I need your help. I go, well, just set it up. Come down sometime in Arizona. Next time in Arizona, no problem. Rich, I'm telling you, he called me six hours, six or seven hours later. He goes, when, do you, when is your first availability? I go, where are you? Where are you? He goes, well, back in Utah. I go, well, just let me know next time in Arizona. We'll set up. He goes, all right, let me look at my schedule. All right, how about tomorrow? <laughs> He flew, he flew back in 24 hours, picked up at 7.30 in the morning. He left on a 9 p.m. flight. We spent the whole day. He went from 225 to 300 yards with his driver. That's amazing. That's Johnny One Speed for him, though. That's him. Right. Exactly. Like, he dives in, right? But I can, I can tell you the journey I've had with John, he'll tell you now, him and I have won two of our member guests together, and we've, we've done that. Not because I've got him to a skill level that's impressive. It's because when we're together, we joke about this all the time, we push such a high energy flow of brain power towards what we're doing. If we're interviewing somebody, if we're going somewhere, if we're on a trip, playing golf, that we literally bring it to the next level. And he shot, his, he shot the round of his life. We, we beat the tournament by like a million. So... Uh, I'm I'm big on the brain, man. I'm so big on the untapped potential that lies there. Um, right down to the very choice when Rich said, I'm going to leave high school and I'm going to go that way. <laughs> That's right. That's a choice. That is a choice, yes. Well, it sounds like I need to schedule a flight out to Scottsdale as well. I need some help, my friend. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm trying to get so many people in Atlanta. I just make trips there and see everybody. That would be great. I'll I'll drive down to Atlanta from Greenville without a doubt. <laughs> Wrapping up here, uh, Michael, because I've taken way too much of your time, but I could talk to you for hours, and it might have to be a situation where we do another one because I'm still so fascinated with everything that you're doing. But through this journey, you know, I'm a big guy uh, in terms of words of wisdom and just mottos, quotes, or life advice that, you know, you lean on throughout your journey. So what about you? Do you have any words of wisdom that has meant a lot to you or just life advice that you'd like to share? I don't know if I have any, uh, many taglines. I mean, I love a lot of what people come up with. And like I said, like the situational fluency that always rung true to me. And um, the thing John says about you can't do anything you want, but you can do anything you can. Those versions of these things have always been around. I always tell people like these, you know, those quote books you can buy and every day you peel one off and there's something inspirational. I don't, I don't think that you need those. I really don't. I think, I think the quote of the day lies within you and it's, it changes every day. I think for me, I don't live by one thing because I'm constantly transforming my end game. I'm on such a macro level of thinking like I'm, I, I think so far ahead that I don't want to be in a methodology of a quote. So for me, my biggest piece of advice is to always search out what the day means to you. You know, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm big in the brain. So what you do in the first five minutes when you wake up every day has the most impact on the rest of your day. 
if you have a cold, the second you wake up, drink a cold glass of water because it gets your metabolism spiked and it wakes you up quicker, and then say that thing to yourself because that starts your day and affects the entire day. And let me leave you with one last thing. This uh, this is a very important thing because it affected my mother's life and and people we share as friends. So you know that John does and John and Rob do this Ray of Hope Foundation. Yes, I do. Well, look, unselfishly, my mother was a big fan of Shark Tank and Damon John, and they took upon themselves to get this done and sent her a message that I still play every day. That was absolutely phenomenal. And it wasn't about her being sick in that moment, but it was more about the look at my mother's face that I still have recorded today, that little tiny things that take zero of your time relative can make a massive change in somebody's life. And when he sent that message to her, it took 25 seconds, said her name. They shared something that he had gone through cancer. He didn't share with many people that were all here for you. The look at my mom's face and the amazement and the awe and, and, and her brain trying to understand why Damon John would have took that time to do that for her literally blew her mind. I think if, you don't need to be Damon John to have that effect. That's what I want to leave with you. You can be Rich. You can be Mike. You can be anybody. And just you giving your time to share everything here on the podcast is having a huge impact on me as as well, Michael. So I, I greatly appreciate it. I appreciate you so much. I love what you do. Keep on keep on doing it, man. It's uh, any, any message is a good message that we can share. So appreciate what you're doing, man. The power we hold within our brain and within ourselves is something that I'm not sure we'll ever truly understand. But as we continue to explore this avenue like Michael is doing, then all of us just might have an opportunity to believe that the circumstances and the events that happen in your life are not meant to define you. In fact, you are meant to define your circumstances. And just like Michael, we can then fully appreciate the opportunities that we do have. Now that finishes episode 87. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening.